Pelotero Pickle episode 110. Can't believe we're 110 episodes into this. Today we have a special guest, Ryan Spilborgs. He is a former Major League player and now does the broadcasting for the Colorado Rockies. He's got some really good stories for us. Just an all-around great human, great person, and uh, share some nuggets from his playing career. Then Chris and I go on just a rant about swing mechanics and player development. Just a ton of really good nuggets in there. think you're going to really like it. Check it out. Pelotero Pickle, episode 110. We have a special guest with us today, Ryan Spillborgs, or as we like to call him, Spilly. Uh, fun episode we're going to have today. Um, before we get started, a reminder, send us an email with your topics to pickle at pelotero.com or hit us up on Twitter at Pelotero Pickle. Joining us as always is Chris Colabello. Chris, how you doing? You I don't care about me today. I care about Spilly. That's it. <laughs> What's up, CC? Hi, Spilly. What's up, man? Thanks for coming. When so, when we when we have high, like, when we have famous people on, like Ryan Spielborgs, we don't have a lot of their time, so we have to like maximize. So let's go right into it. Let's go. So tell us what you're doing now, because you obviously had a, a pretty good playing career. Tell us what you're doing now. How'd you get into it? And are you? Uh, yeah, I mean, so I've been broadcasting now. This will be my 10th season, uh, which is kind of crazy. I mean, like, I had close to six years of service time. And, and I, like, a couple years ago, I remember, you know, like, in broadcasting, you never know if you're getting better or not. So, you know, there's no, like, 0 for 4s or anything like that. You just continue to go in. And I remember I was getting close to August in 2018. I'm like, oh, man. Like I'm getting close to the amount of service time um, that I had as a player, as a broadcaster, broadcasting for for Rockies games. And then once you kind of pass that number, because I mean, like, you know, CC, you get it. Our our major league service time is a really big deal to us. Like it's huge. Like everybody wants to get 10 years of service time. And now this season for me as a, as a broadcast, I'm going to have my 10th major league season as a major league broadcaster. Um, so I've been doing TV and I've been doing radio for MLB Network Radio, um, but it's crazy. I've seen careers come and go. <laughs> I've watched prospects, you know, start their careers to like being in the middle of it. I've, I mean, like it is it is wild to see how fast a baseball career uh, really is. And like when we were playing, it felt like we were going to be a major leaguer forever, <laughs> and and it and it wasn't. It's not the case. I mean, I retired in. 2014 as a 33 year old and now i'm like i said i'm 10 years into my broadcasting career and i have i'm i feel like i'm just scratching the surface what's the biggest what's i want to know what's hard about because it seems easy it seems like an easy job but i don't think it's no it's easy for spilly he's so affable like look i mean he's so lovable we see each other at the winter meetings and i'm like oh then you can talk to a brick wall if he needed to it's it's my wife says that yeah my wife says i could talk to a tree if i but i i mean i didn't go to college or or school to be a broadcaster and to be honest like uh when i ended up getting the job uh, the guy's name is Kenny Miller. Kenny Miller is now in charge of Amazon. So he's uh, he's doing all like the NFL stuff for, for Amazon and the streaming Amazon Prime. Uh, and Kenny was known as the the talent whisperer. 
So he's had like a whole long list of, of people that have ended up being like big, big in broadcasting, Carissa Thompson, Joel Klatt, Lana Rizzo, uh, Taylor McGregor, like myself, like there's a lot of people, Jenny Kavnar that have come in and through Kenny Miller. And when I got offered the opportunity, it was back in 2014. So I, I just finished a season in Japan. And uh, I wasn't planning on retiring. I finally got my swing tightened up and I felt like good to go. And uh, I was asked, you know, do I want to broadcast? I was like, hell no, I don't want to broadcast. Like I'm a baseball player. And uh, he was like, at least sit down and, and hear the, you know, the path that we have for you. So I sat down with him and uh, he said, hey, look, these jobs don't come up too often. We're going to start you off in pre and post game. You're going to, you know, cut your teeth here. You'll, you'll try to get better. Uh, and then we think we envision you in the broadcast booth at some point. And if you get into the broadcast booth, those those gigs, like, they don't come out too often. And, like, if you get them, as long as you don't do anything, like, silly, you should be able to hang on to them as long as you don't cuss. So uh, I basically – it took me four months to make a decision. Then I said, you know what, I, I think I want to do this. Uh, I want to be home a little bit more. And ultimately, like down the road, I asked Kenny, I go, hey, why did you why did you give me the, the opportunity to do it? Because like there's so many there's thousands of people that wanted to do it. And he goes, Spilly, when I was in the clubhouse, you know, you would always say hi to people. And I was like, really? He was like, yeah, like uh, so our crew, our TV crew, you know, I would just always say like, hey, you know, hi, who are you? You know, like <laughs> and that was it. And he says, the reason why I hired you is because you were nice. That was it. Like legitimately, the reason why I got hired to do my role was because I was nice and he knew I would treat people around me just normal. Um, and that's a big deal in our TV industry because there are so many people that you would never recognize. Somebody could be in in, in cut off jeans and a ripped holy t-shirt and you're like, who the hell is that guy? That could be your executive producer. <laughs> that could be the boss of, of the channel. Um, so there's no way that you can tell it's never the guy in the suit with the tie. It's it's usually somebody random uh, that's in charge of your career in television. And that human lives by one important adage that the way you do anything is the way you do everything and you never know who's watching. Right. So it's I, I mean, I, I, we met each other and I think it was 2015 for the first time and uh, spent some time together, the three of us. And I, I, I remember feeling very comfortable in conversations with you and that obviously reflects in your personality. We've been around a lot of players too, who don't necessarily take that time. And I think that's a quality that I probably share with you a little bit where it doesn't matter who you're around. You just say hello. It's not yeah, what's hard up? and yeah, what's going on. And um, that's awesome that it, it led you down this next career path, which I must say, especially with your beautiful hair, you just, you're wonderful. Yeah, my hair is pretty good today. I got my gaucho hat on, <laughs> my black gaucho okay. hat. Well, when you do radio, I mean, it doesn't matter, right? So, like, we, I mean, we're on we're on video here and we can see each other, but we'll ultimately end up having this be uh, a non-video stream. But I think we all we all look good for the most part, except Bobby's eyes. But that's that's why he's on a just fuzzy my screen, right eye, right? just my right eye. That's cedar that's in right. Texas, man. It's, it's cedar. Gets me. It's, Gets me every year, right around Christmas. <clears throat> so, what's your what's your game day process like and i mean as a player you have routines and you have you know get to the yard get ready stretch blah 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 bp what's it like for you now in this new career what's your what's your daily process like uh it's long i mean i 
I'm usually doing radio daily, even on days that I'm doing television. So I'm, I'm doing radio from one to four. Uh, if I'm on the road, that means I'm getting to the stadium at noon. Uh, so I, I, I mean, I'm there like basically when the, before any of the players get there on, on many days, just watching, you know, fields getting dressed up. I, I see the grounds crew, which nobody works harder in baseball than the grounds crew. Like I, if there's anybody that says they work harder, you're a liar. Like I'm telling you, nobody works longer hours, harder hours than the grounds crew in, in major league baseball. It's not even close. It, like, I'm telling you're, you, you're a man after even... Bobby's heart. He loves landscaping. Just so I'm you know, a big lawn care guy. I'm telling you, like if you think a coach and a coach, I would say it goes like grounds crew coaches, you know, kind of like the grinder players, you know, athletic training staff. And then, you know, like at the end, you start to get like broadcasters. So I, I would I would say like a, a typical day for me, Monday through Friday, I'm at the stadium or I'm starting to prep. Because, um, I, I mean, you're so we're so into the into the sport, like I'm constantly watching. So it's not like I'm having to like read media guides or anything like that. I'm just like constant, like in a constant recycle mode. Um, so I'm like, you know, I'll read an article, I'll watch highlights, I'll get to the field, I do the radio show, I have a rundown, which I have a producer that gives me a bunch of information for the day, I can research it, I can research on the fly, uh, and then I prep for for the evening game. So, I mean, if I'm getting to the stadium at noon, I'm leaving after a major league game at, let's say it's I'm on Pacific time, I'm leaving at 10.30, 10.40. So it's a it's a good ten hour day uh, during Major League Baseball season. During the off season, it's maybe four and a half hours, maybe um, on a on a typical day for me. What was uh What was the transition like? Did you so like you obviously? I I think I I, I hate when people use the term journeyman um, careers. I, I don't like it because you're a big leaguer and you had some, certainly some highlight moments, but. Did you? I, I know you mentioned it a little bit, but did you think there was there was more in you as a player? And did it hurt when you started the job more than anything else? That's a topic you didn't really address. It did it, it was it hard to like step away from the game once you kind of deep dove into this? Uh, I th- I mean I I would assume I'm like you, Chris. Like we squeezed every ounce of talent that we had in our career uh, to get the most out of it, and. I mean, like for, for me, when I when I think about all the different things that I, I went through, you know, I think gr- I love hearing Grinder, but I also hear, you know, from from other like, for example, Dan O'Dowd, general manager of the Rockies. He he, he often uses me as an example of a seventh rounder um, that got way more out of their career than everybody ever anticipated. Like nobody thought that I would have made it as far as I did. And and, and I always joke. I was like, I didn't actually do it like I had coaches along the way that that really kind of invested in me. I tell this story when I was at UCSB, I was redshirted as a freshman. I was brutal. I was the literally the worst player on our college team. I sucked. I'm like, I'm telling you, I was terrible. I had one hit the entire fall ball. I was like one for 30. And the guy I got a hit off at the end of fall ball had to run for the rest of the practice because he gave up a hit to spillboards. Like that's how bad it was. I'm telling you. And uh, I had a fifth-year senior. His name is Brad Wright. He lives in Colorado. Um, just kind of saw a work ethic and saw that I was, like, picking up balls and doing whatever I was supposed to do. And he bought me a pair of sunglasses. I was a center fielder. He moved me to right and trained me 
on how to catch balls in the sun because at UCSB, the sun would, would set right in, in line with the right fielder. So it was like right over in between the, the third baseline. And so he taught me and bought me a pair of sunglasses so I could play. Um, and I always say, like, if it wasn't for Brad Wright and his pair of Oakleys, I'm not talking to you about baseball today. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like, when I did transition from baseball to broadcasting, I was ticked off about it because I didn't ever want to stop. Um, I felt like there were so many people that kind of pushed me so far that I was like, I kind of owed it to them uh, to keep grinding and keep going. Uh, but ultimately, it was like there was a next group of people that were ready for me to um, be around them and, and kind of push my next career and ultimately be a better you know, husband and, and family person so I could be home. You know, like I felt like I was pretty much at those crossroads where I had to make a choice of, of like, am I going to grind for what? For, for me and for some of those coaches, which I think I've exceeded expectation for a lot of them. Or is it time to, to do what's right for my family? And I ended up choosing uh, do what's right for my family. Yeah, see, for me, it was easy. COVID hit. But I, the problem is I'm a, I'm, there's a 100% chance I'm a better hitter today than I was yeah. at any point. No question. Career. 100% chance. There's no doubt. And uh, Bobby like gets mad at me because I'm like, we should challenge a team to sign me. And I'll probably go like 300 with 30 this year, which – it's like low end, I think, for me, production-wise. Um, it's a conservative estimate. <laughs> and I, I know I'm better than I've ever been. So, like, I dare somebody to sign me and see what happens. But at the same time, it was a, it was a much easier transition. I got act actually asked about it last night by a kid who's kind of in that same uh, boat right now, thinking about finishing indie ball and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, anyway, enough about me. I, I mean, I think you could hit 330 with 30. That's that's the dream of everybody, right? Especially in Colorado. Oh, you think just because you're in altitude, you're going to just hit bombs? I have no at bats <laughs> in Colorado. I have a series there with no at bats, um, so I'm still curious to know what what it's like. I don't. I, it, it's huge yard. It's a huge yard. I feel like the. I don't think homers are easier there. I think it's just a lot more outfield to cover, and you would know better than I would. Yeah, I mean, you still got to hit. Hitters got to hit, but I think the defense. Depending on if you have you know crummy outfielders, like there's some there's some weak weak hits that you'll get if you get jammed. It just drops in front of the right fielder because he was playing with his back up against the wall. But uh, you still got a hit. I mean, like I love that Larry Walker is a Hall of Famer and he said it correctly. He's like, if you don't think my career is deserving of Cooperstown because I played for Colorado, then just get rid of Colorado. Like, don't let them be a yeah. major league city. It's a really good point. Um, there was, I know we don't have you for a long time. And if you have time to tell this, there's one thing that we you told me at the winter meetings that I was fascinated by. Um, a lot of our listeners are, you know, amateur players, people within the baseball world. Um, and you told a great story about your mom and the impact she had mm. on you one year when you felt like you weren't very good. Um, if you have time for that, I'd love to let our listeners here. Yeah. Um, I I, it, it started basically we're struggling. I, double A maybe was it double A? I can't remember. I was, we yeah, uh, I'll finish on this story. This one, this one is near and dear to my heart. Um, so 2004, I'm in with the Visalia Oaks and the second half of the season is brutal. Uh, you can look it up. California league, Visalia Oaks, 2004. We have the worst record in uh, California league history in the second half. I think we won nine games. Um, but on the first half, we had a bunch of guys that were in double that were like prospects and they ended up going to double A. I was left behind. 
And during that time frame, I had like an inside out swing. It's kind of like how I taught myself how to swing. I did a fence drill when I was a kid. So my left elbow would always like pop straight up. And uh, Glenn Allen Hill was this coach that we had. And G Hill's known for hitting the ball onto the apartments across the street at Wrigley. He's huge. He's like 6'3", 275 pounds. He was huge, like massive human. So he went home during our all-star break and brought back all these big old Sam bats, like 35 inch, 33 ounce, 35 inch, 35 ounce bats. And he gave me three of them. And he goes, here you go, Spilly. And I'm like, what am I going to do with these? He was like, you're going to hit with them. And I was like, on the field? No, he's like, in the game. So I'm like, what the heck? Great. Like, I don't want to hit with these. And he was like, you're going to learn how to control the barrel. I was like, okay. So I started listening to him and I was hitting with these big ass bats. Like I'm telling you, it was a 35 inch, 35 ounce bat. And anytime I even hit the ball, it would go foul down the right field line because I was right handed. And I would come walking back towards home plate and these catchers would always hand me these bats. Like, what are you doing, bro? And I'm like, just save it. And so it's getting close to like the end of August and uh, my mom comes out and my mom was sick and she ended up passing away in 2009, but she was there and, and she's like, she's like, I'm here to watch you play. I was like, okay, cool. So after one of the games, I think it was 0 for 4 and I was like, Hey mom, what do you got? And she's, and like my mom loved baseball. She's the one that signed me up to go play baseball anyways. Um, she was Guatemalan. She, she, she like loved Fernando Valenzuela. She's like the reason why I ended up playing baseball. And so she was like, I don't know. You don't look right. And I was like, well, what am I doing? She was like, I don't know. It's like, uh, like the way you're, you're walking to the plate. And I was like, well, of course I don't look right. I'm carrying a freaking 35 inch, 35 ounce bat. And she goes, that's not it. That's not it. She's like, I've been watching you since you were a kid. She was like, I know what it is. When you, when you to the plate you carry the bat by the barrel and i was like what she's like yeah you carry your bat by the barrel and the next day i'm on the on deck circle and i have my big old bat and my bat weight and i slam the bat weight down and I grab the bat from the barrel and i start walking up and i was like oh crap like my chest started puffing up and i just strutted to the plate and it was something that simple which you know takes a lot of trust and love, you know, for somebody else watching from the outside. But that was what my mom picked up was a natural trait that I had when I was confident. Uh, I walked to the plate carrying the bat by the barrel and like that turned my career around in that moment. And with that bat later on in the year, so I had like two weeks left to go. Um, I had like a fastball middle in some closer and I hit a homer to dead center with this big old bat and I flattened out my swing and I was controlling the barrel with a 35 inch, 35 ounce bat. Uh, and the next year I ended up making it to the big leagues. So there you go. That's awesome, man. Good stuff. And it's just, it's just so impactful how your, your season can change in one moment in time. And really it's a glass half full glass, half empty story. Right. And it's about mindset and presence. So super cool, man. Um, just side note, teammates on that, on that team, Isaac Pavlik, Sandy Madera, Doug Bernier, yeah. all near and dear to my heart. Sandy Madera, former Can-Am League raker. Uh, Isaac Pavlik, Can-Am League legend, New Jersey Jackals. I've known Isaac. Uh, I always said to him, he's the best teammate I never had. 
Um, Pav was, was great. Was yeah, I love Pav. He's a he's a wonderful yeah. singer too. As a as a side, yeah. get him to sing. All of three foot six, left handed, throwing ninety three. Yeah, like he's somehow. great. I love um, I love Pav. Like, I'd love to catch back up. Yeah. Send me his uh, send me his number later so I can text him. I, I I will. And then Doug Bernier, who's Doug? What a legend! Probably, you know, stud. Dougie, the best hustler I've ever seen of all time. Uh huh. Yeah, Spilly. Thank you so much. I don't want to keep you longer than we did. You said 20 and now it's 25. You got, you guys did great. No, you did great. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It's good to see you too. CC Patrick. Thanks. for. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do this again sometime. We'll tell you more about Pelotero. You let me know when you have some time and we'll tell you what we're getting into, what kind of mess we're getting into. I can't wait to hear about it. Thanks buddy. Enjoy the radio show. Tell those people they're lucky to have you. Tell them it's, it's their honor to have you on the show. Like I tell kids, it's their honor to meet me now. I love it. Three thirty with 30. I dare somebody to sign you. Bye guys. If the Rockies need a guy, just make a call, you know, see you bud. See ya. Take care. Thanks for coming. Take care. <clears throat> Spilly's the All man, right. dude. Spilly's awesome. He's, a, he's like the classic Cali positive energy type of guy. Yeah. Reminds me of Heather, Adam yeah. Heather. He's got those vibes. Um, that story, that story that he just told resonated with me so much because he's telling it. We're at the winter meetings and it was wild. You know, we're sitting there and talking, and somehow I don't even know how we got to the story, but um, really cool stuff about you know how you can how one moment, one thought, one idea, one reminder um, kind of can put you in the right frame of mind, and I, I thought that was really super powerful when he said it it was like it hit home with me you know i've been doing uh <clears throat> a lot of stuff on like frequency and just i watched this youtube video last night about sound and how sound and, and like wavelengths and frequency and everything and if you go down like the if you go down the rabbit holes with like nikola tesla and all that kind of stuff it's like the number of three and it's like three six nine i believe but one of the things I was watching recently was talking about how your thoughts literally change your brain. Like the, it literally changed your brain. So that story that he told out, that's what I kept thinking about was his mom just noticed something about how he was carrying himself and how that simple switch. And like our Steve Springer, we saw it at winter meetings as well. Like confident guy versus not confident guy. The guy that's confident is going to play better than the guy that's not confident. And it's, it change. It really does change who you are. It changes what you're capable of when you're in a better mindset. Well, this is why the meditation, the, the mental performance stuff, the, all the stuff, the stuff Ryan McCarty talked about when he came on the show, it, it's so powerful and we can't, we can't hit on it enough. And like the, the thing Bobby is that that's really, uh, that pisses me off is like, we're, we're in a world now where you've got people screaming online and saying, Oh, hitting's easy. Just do what I tell you to do. And, and it's such bullshit, dude. Like it's so, so tired and played out. And it's such a disservice to kids that are exposed to this information because like it's creating so much doubt in the player. It's creating so much insecurity. And like, look, we, we all had it when we were kids, right? Like you, like you'd be the first one to admit that and the same way I would, that there were so many times when, um, and this relates to the, the Mitch Garver tweet, which we can get into. You, you know, you had the tweet that said, have you ever walked in a cage and just not 
like felt like you learned something that made just you question being everything completely you ever lost being like i don't know what i'm doing i have no roadmap my brain is broken i feel like a lost soul like when you get in the cage and when you do that as a coach you get a player looking at you like hey tell me what to do and you're like i i have nothing for you right now yeah it's and- terrifying it's absolutely terrifying and we're talking about a guy, Mitch Garver hit 31 homers in 2019. That's a guy that hit 31 homers in OPS 995. And I wrote an article about this in our Pelotero community. Like, if you think you're immune to that shit, you're crazy, dude. Like, you're, you're literally, cra- like, you're, you're delusional. And, again, the perception that so many people are painting, and they, they don't even realize the impact that they're having on the industry. Uh, like, you've literally now, you've gotten these, like, online and personal battles, these wars about hitting and what's right in the swing. And and now the 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 trickle down effect that's having on players is monumental, monumental. It's it's wild because young people are now like questioning their swing daily, questioning their mechanics daily, and wondering is this the best version of me? And that that can lead you down some really scary roads, you know. Well, just it. Um. It's just focus on all the wrong things. And if you're going to try to make progress and you're working on the wrong things, there's a the, the Elon Musk quote that I use sometimes with you guys is like the worst thing an engineer can do is, is optimize something that shouldn't exist. It's like, hey, this thing is so efficient. It's so elegant. It's it's so precise. And it's like, yeah, nobody, nobody cares. Nobody needs it. That's what kids that are working on hitting pull side homers in the cage or they're trying to perfect their swing mechanics off flips. It's like, you're, you're working on the wrong things. You're working on the things with the least amount of impact on your actual performance. It's, and it's just, kids are, there's so much time being wasted working on things that don't matter. Or that's what, it's not that they don't matter. It's that you need to get your swing to a certain point and then you need to hit with it. And everybody's just trying to make their swing better and make their swing better and make their swing better and make their swing better. It's like at some point that needs to transition to hitting better. And it's all timing. It's all adjustments. It's all game planning. It's thinking. It's being able to. I I uh, I very rarely get in the cage. I was in the cage this morning with the player that I met through the Future Star series. And the whole conversation was like he's getting <clears throat> getting ready to do some camps. I got almonds stuck in my throat. Give me a second. He's getting ready to do some camps, and I was talking to him about like how powerful it is to have a plan and BP, and and showing up to a showcase style event where your first swing is like, I'm trying to be late and miss over on purpose. Like when we were at the the main event up in Hartford, there was one kid that was hitting ball sideways. I was like, this is best BP of the day. This kid's intentionally not muscling up. He's literally just trying to hit ball sideways. You could tell it was on purpose. The Having a plan is so powerful. I told the kid this morning, I go, it'd be so cool if, if like your first swing of the day you missed over on purpose or you miss under on purpose, just miss on purpose. Right. And then everything I need to do like a diagram for this, but everything is just honing in on accuracy and timing and being intentful with like, Oh, I missed over. All right. I'm going to try to miss under. All right. I missed under too much. I'm going to aim a little higher and then I'm going to be a little bit later. And then I'm going to, it's like all this like positioning and configuring and getting dialed in. Like that's what BP is. I'm like, then like once you, once you're dialed in, you want to hit a pull side homer, go for it. Cause everybody there knows you're good. Everybody knows you're ready. You've already shown us the stuff that that matters. So yeah, go ahead and hit a homer. I don't care at that point. But if all you do is hit a homer, 
if all you're doing is leaving, it's like you don't you're not doing the important stuff yet. You're doing you're capable of something, but who cares? Nobody cares. And I told them like you if you get the cage in a showcase and you're trying to impress them with your bat speed or how far you hit the ball, like you got to remember as a high school player, you're competing against their kids that they see on the roster. These college coaches see 22, 23 year olds on the roster every day. They're bigger and stronger than you. They're, they if you create bat speed, it's going to show up. They'll see it. You don't need to try. If you try to impress them with the wrong things, it's not going to work. You're just you're not at that level yet. You're you're, tr- you're trying to win something that's not winnable. But if you go in and you're like showing approach, showing barrel control, showing that you can you can move the ball around the field, that stuff becomes so much more impressive because nobody's doing it. So to that point, Ryan Spielberg just talked about the two things that separated him that created his opportunities. One were that he was the guy that was picking up the balls and showing up on time and doing all this stuff and the stuff that stands out that nobody else is doing. And then the second thing was he was being nice. So just to be clear, to get somebody to pay attention to you, to separate yourself from people, generally talent won't do that unless you're you're just head and shoulders above, right? If you're... I said this to and somebody. At that point, you don't even have to try because you're exactly. so obvious. It's like a Ferrari driving down the street. It's like, yeah, that car is better. There's it. a kid. There's a kid up here that trains at at the at Exceed uh, and that plays for Evolution Baseball. His name's Maverick Rizzi. He was just on the U18 uh, national team. Maverick's like six foot nine. Tall. Yeah, yeah, he's six foot huge. nine. So guess what? Maverick's going to stand out in every room that he walks into for the rest of time because he's six nine. And I look at all the other pitchers around him that are. 6'1", to 6'2", 6'3", 6'foot. I go, guess what, guys? He wins, like, because he's already different. So you guys have to make yourself different in some other way. I said, because you can't make yourself 6'9", you can't make yourself throw 95 overnight. So you have to stand out differently than he does. And until you figure out a way to stand out, and again, let's be clear, stand out doesn't mean hit the most pull-side homers. Stand out means be different than everybody else. Because guess what? If you're the guy that's trying to hit pull-side homers, going to hit a lot of topspin grounders and hooks to get the homers to show up in BP, especially when you're a little more nervous, a little more tense. You haven't timed up the pitcher yet. It's a short burst batting practice. And all you're going to end up doing is cage killing and then be frustrated at your round where instead I dare you to go line to line hitting line drives. Cause if you watch a BP at the amateur level, there aren't many guys that are going line to line hitting BP, right? Like you want to be different, do that. You want to be different, lock in as soon as you walk in the cage. After you take a bad swing, step out, take a deep breath, reset. Those are things that will like make an impression on people. Not just you trying to hit a Jimmy to the yank side because driveline told you to swing faster. Like, what are we doing? Like, what, what are we talking about? Yeah. Yep. It's just funny because I think how many kids use BP as their gauge for confidence in a day? Everyone. It's like, oh, if I have a if I have good BP, then like sometimes like I would have better games when I had bad BPs because I'd lock in more. Heck yeah, frequently, or you feel really good that day, and maybe you're like you kind of relax a little bit when you shouldn't. And no matter what, you always have to figure out how to lock it in when it actually matters. Whether you have a good BP or a bad BP, you're always just tricking yourself to, to having the right mentality anyway. It's like, oh, I had a really good BP today. Got to keep it up. Got to stay focused. Not, oh, I'm good today. I'm So that's like chill. the, you're talking about having a plan, right? As a hitter, we have to focus on like big overarching concepts, right? And and having feels that relate to them. Uh, you know, like, am I getting my hips turned? Great. Like, cool. Like, my hips feel like they're clearing. Do 
do I feel like I'm a little pushy today? All right, well, I'm going to make sure my hands really stay delayed, stay behind my swing, stay behind my body. Um, stuff that is like big, like big muscle stuff, right? Like going to the gym and doing quads and chest, like work on big things that like are noticeable and try to feel. And then, oh, by the way, here's what's really important. I have a, really, I have a really good phrase for you. I have an outstanding phrase for you right now based Go. on uh, Brian Bannister, Art of Baseball. So Brian Bannister was with the Red Sox when they won in 18. He did a presentation, and I just sent him a message about this. So it's perfect for what you're talking about. And you're going to love it because there's an economics tie-in. So he had a concept where he talked about global versus focal. Macro I believe and micro, wording. baby. Macro and micro. Yep. So I knew, I knew you would love it. So let me let me find the exact uh, exact wording. <clears throat> and he was talking about in in the context of like pitchers getting better. So it was uh, if you're working on like your overall mechanics, that's a global impact. If you're working on a specific grip, that's a focal impact. So like getting stronger, lifting weights is global. Need to do it. Have to do it. Like you're an idiot if you're not doing it. Eating right global sleeping right global it's not it's not specifically adjusted it's not like picking the right bat for you to use or like i like these batting gloves or i'm going to sit on a fastball right here but there needs to be that balance of like everybody's going global like i mean like swing mechanics have become global where they think that that's going to impact their performance and it's not global it's the the mechanics become incredibly focal and as you like to say, you create one load that creates millions of swings. And, and learning that and feeling that is well. That's it. Here's the biggest piece, right? And I, I obviously I attended Bridge the Gap this past weekend, and it, there was the big, uh, the big Dick Eugene showdown, um, you know, and really nothing came of it, and uh, it, it was wild because I'm sitting there thinking to myself. What happens when it breaks, guys? Like, what happens when it's broken? You guys are up here talking about optimization. And and to Eugene's credit, he, he spoke about adjustability. And obviously, we've known Eugene for a while. And we've known both guys for a while. It, like, what happens when it breaks? That Rich Gedman always used to talk to me about being good with my head, right? You've heard him say that a thousand times. And the reason he would say that is, you know... It, it, Walt Riniak would talk to him about what happens when you're messed up, man. What happens when, uh, as Mitch Garver eloquently tweeted the picture of uh, Will Ferrell and Talladega Nights, I never know what to do with my hands. And then I, I, I put uh, insert movie movie scene in any baseball movie ever, right? I never know what to do with my hands. Because you could show up the field on a Wednesday and the bat feels like it's upside down. You don't know where your feet are. You have no idea it, whether your hips are turning. You're a little banged up. You're a little sore. Now, all of a sudden, you got to go survive. Hitting is about freaking survival, dude. Period. End of story. It is about surviving. Because at some point, it's going to get bad. And there's no backstop. There's no. There's nothing stopping the, the, the collapse, the epic demise. There's nothing stopping you from hitting 146. There's a lot of things stopping you from hitting 450. The defense, the pitcher, the environment, all of that stuff is stopping you from hitting 450 or even 400 for that matter because nobody's hit 400 since whatever it was, 19, 
46 or I don't remember what year, 64 or 61, whatever it was. There's nothing stopping you from hitting 140. Nothing. And that that collapse, that fall is scary and emotional and anxiety riddled. And all like and it, it happens when you're just searching because when you're searching, you're screwed. It's a plan to do everything, which it ultimately is a plan to do nothing, right? Like you don't have singular focus. You're, you're not able to just say, okay, I'm going to rely on this today. Come hell or high water. I'm going to do something that is going to give me a chance because all this other stuff is too low. It's too big. It's too, it's too much. Like, oh, well, my hip's doing this. But my hand's not turning like that. I didn't snap it here and I didn't freaking decel there. I'm like, what? like, dude. Like you're making it about things that are just so far from the actual concept of there's a barrel and there's a ball and you have to figure out how to hit the ball with the barrel. At some point it becomes just about that simple. And yeah, there's minutia and there's, there's micro level problems that you have to address. And those are just, but they're, most of them are feel related. You have to create feels in real time to make adjustments in 0.4 second windows. Yeah. There there were a couple of takeaways I watched I watched uh online and a couple of takeaways. One is if if what you teach is so fragile that you need to be constantly checking in or oh well I could get him right if he stopped doing it because blah 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 that's why he failed. I could do it. I, if he had more time with me I'm not disputing that what reach to, what reach what rich teaches can help players. That's not part of what I'm saying whatsoever. But it's very fragile. And there there's there's a balance there, right? Where the other the other big takeaway was he kept saying you got to be ready to swing when the ball's released. Which as a drill is great. I really like that actually. Um I've been talking for years about being on time twice. You got to be ready for pitch release. Then you got to be ready for contact. And the time between those two points is variable, blah, blah, blah. But then like you watch judge and you're like, Oh yeah, we added more flow this year, which made it more adjustable, which he never talked. To, he never talked about rhythm once in the last 12 years ever. <clears throat> no. Ever. So like, I wish somebody had pressed on that one because when, when judge was pinning the bat behind his head and swinging from depth immediately, his he couldn't hit pull side homers or he he struggled to because his bat was coming around everything he was hitting a lot of top spin line drives and coming around the ball and he he can flare balls out to right that go 400 feet so it's not taking anything away from him it's like that's his reality that's what he's capable of and that's great um but when you, you it's like you can't tell me that he's ready to swing when his hands are in front of his face which they are and I understand that there's a drill and I understand that that's a big focal point, blah, blah, blah. But also he added rhythm and he was moving into depth later, which cleaned up his swing path and that makes him more adjustable. And like, there's just a dismissal of that. It's just pure dismissal. And the the part about timing was he's like, you got to be ready to swing when the ball, before the ball's released. It's like, well, how many, how many hitters actually do that? Like you're going to point to like Nelson Cruz, who is very much a foot down guy, but he has a forward move after like he, the front foot gets unweighted. There's, there's a move that happens with 
there's no hitter that hits from a purely static position. It just doesn't happen. It's not the command drill. Nobody does command drill in the game. Just nobody does it. So this argument that you got to be ready to swing and that if you have to get to your front foot, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, Altuve gets to his front foot. Trout gets to his front foot. Clemente gets to his front foot. Hank Aaron gets to his front foot. Way more than a lot of others. So Colabello gets to his front foot. Well, so. you're an amateur. You don't count. So, yeah. I know. Yeah. But but the where I'm going with this is like, all right, you're saying that you need to be balanced on your back leg, really over your back leg, because you can't stay balanced and be – you can be balanced over your back leg, but nobody hits over their back leg fully. Nobody's Nobody actually swings from over their back leg. So at some point you get balanced and you can stretch it, and then you move forward so you're not ready to swing because you still got to move forward. Otherwise, you just swing straight up. Um but if you're making such a big deal about being on time with one method, which is all we're talking about is there's a method that Rich talks about and then Bleaker has a different method. So why can't you just be on time with, with Bleak's method? And then if it's about being on time, you can have arguments and discussions about like is one creating a deeper swing path? Is one better for different? Like there's different characteristics that happen. But you just can't blatantly ignore the fact that Altuve swings that way and that like Mike Schmidt swings down and across like hard, aggressively, striding closed. You just you can't ignore those things and say, oh, well, that doesn't fit my model or twist them to make them fit your model when it doesn't. It just doesn't fit your model. It's not even close. I said this to you last night. What's more important, having a swing that fits your model or actually producing, right? And I, it, th- this is like the, the world that we've gotten to. And it's not just, it's not just Dick and not just the hidden guys across the world. Don't even give him that. Don't even, don't even give him the name calling. Don't he's, it's not deserving of that. Cause then he's going to, he's going to, that's his name. He doesn't go by, he doesn't go by that. Goes by rich. Call him rich. That's his name. Don't call him teacher man. Don't call him Dick. His name is rich. Just call him rich. So he doesn't like, it it doesn't deserve more energy. If you call him names and it's, it's no better than what he does. Sure. Be above it. Cause like what we're talking about right now is, like actually helping hitters and having having the real discussion. We don't need to involve well, name calling that's, that. So it, that's it, the whole, it brings us down to his level. It's not, it's I know, not worth it. But I, I've, I feel like I'm being very deliberate in calling him by his name. But that's neither here nor there. Let's move on. Yeah. The, the whole point is, what is more important? That guys hit or that they have a swing that fits somebody's model? And it, again, it's not just about him. It's about the entire industry saying like, okay, well, this swing fits the characteristics. Dude, the swing is same the thing output. for pitchers. The same swing thing for too. is the output. The the production is like 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 the swing happens from like a million different things that like we're trying to create a result, right? And the swing, like what the swing looks like, ultimately becomes an output. So when we're talking about matching video and all this stuff, like first of all, the video has a ton of context, and you can pick whatever video you want to fit whatever narrative you want, like. If a guy is out front fooled, his swing looks like shit. Let's just be clear. Like, it looks bad. And, like, I, I could use that and be like, oh, see, he was out. Like, what are we talking about? We're talking about these subjective moments in time and then trying to objectify them and saying, like, oh, let's look at this versus this versus that. And, it, again, like, hitting within optimization is is just not – it's not plausible. Like, we have to create and, – and, again – we have to create well, you No, know, it is it is plausible, but the amount of discipline and the amount of mental toughness and the ability to stay healthy physically to accomplish that is way more remarkable than your swing mechanics. 
Sure. Way more like the ability to stay locked in for 162 and exactly. and not and not give a bats away. That is the most impressive thing about Judge's season to me. I don't give a shit. I don't care because if because when 0 for 12 his shows is, up, yeah, if it, yeah, when free agency is looming, when millions of dollars are on the line, uh, and look like like you feel these pressures that are real, especially when you're doing it in the limelight. And some guys embrace it, and some guys don't. Aaron Judge clearly embraced the limelight, the spotlight, the moment. It, like he did it, and that's what is most impressive because all the bullshit that he was dealing with was really hard, really hard. And that's, he, you, you saw it happen toward the end of the year when he got to 60, 61, 62, right? Like there were, stre- there, like it was clear that it was weighing on him at that point. Cause he didn't want to talk about it. He's over it. And Oh, by the way, all that stuff that they were talking about is more for the media. It's not like in the clubhouse. It's, it, it's not even a thing. And, and the problem is we've, we've now created all these, influences and the fans have the right to it right like the put like the, the people that are watching that are paying ultimately paying the salaries have the right to think of it and see it and feel it touch it however they want but again if you really want to get holistic about it think about the effects we're having on the player like think about the effects that what we're doing like nobody gets past the surface level of saying oh look i have the right swing and how big an impact does that have on a 16 year old player who's already insecure and has a ton of doubt how big of an impact does it have on the player who's in the major leagues? And then you want to make the argument that, oh, he's getting paid a lot of money to do what he's doing. He's got to grow thicker skin. Humanity doesn't ever switch places with other people. And again, how do we build athletes who are prepared to deal with the crap? Like, that's what it comes down to. Build athletes who are prepared to deal with the crap that's going to show up from baseball. Build hitters who are ready to deal with 0 for 12. Build hitters who feel confident, have a plan and have something to fall back on when things get really hard. And that takes time, energy, effort. And, and again, the, you want to talk about the, the, the building routine and, and having, uh, you know, a strong foundation and resources behind you that you can rely on. That's what it's all about. I'll never forget, dude. I mean, the conversation you and I had on the curb for two and a half hours when I was in 220, devastating, right? Like devastating moment in my career. And if I don't let that out, nothing changes. I just keep going in the path that I'm going on and I never get anywhere. And it takes a vulnerable athlete to be able to say like, yeah, I need help. I need help. So I need somebody to talk to. I need somebody to help build my, my armor again, build my confidence. And I need to remind myself that I'm just playing a game. I'm, I'm trying to find a synonym for delusional right now. And I'm, there's no good words where <laughs> they're popping up because it's delusional has such a, a negative connotation to it. Um, but the the actual definition is having false or unrealistic beliefs, maintaining f- fixed false beliefs even when confronted with facts. So, like you get these kids that one person's telling them their swing is good, and they go in the game and the game's telling them your swing ain't good. Like your swing's not you're not getting hits, you're not producing anything. But they're so sold out to the swing, they refuse to acknowledge that the game is telling them it's not working, and there's. Like industry wide, I think the the problems that we're working on right now with Peltero with creating a game tracking solution where we can actually get to the heart of those things because maybe maybe the swing is fine, but they're not even considering the other pieces that do matter. You know, they're not they don't understand their timing is bad. They don't understand they're swinging at bad at bad pitches. They don't understand it's just a skill problem with accuracy. They don't they just don't know. 
nobody's nobody's been able to communicate that well. Uh, Jeff Harder so, said Jeff Harder said this the best. Uh, coach Texas A&M A&M. softball hitting coach. unbelievable, yep. unbelievable. He He's uh, good. he asked me the question. He asked me. He said, "Chris, if we're if we're we're figuring so much stuff out, like why have why haven't we gotten better?" And and the the, the quote I use like, "Why hasn't offense <laughs> leveled up?" Like, why hasn't yeah. offense leveled up across the board? Right? If anything, it's leveling down. Right? Would you agree with that? I mean. Yeah, yeah, some guys are hitting a few more homers, and there's more power production from guys that maybe nobody expected to to hit the ball out of the ballpark 20, 30, 40 years ago. But, like, offense has not leveled up. It's it's not better. Major league hitters are not better. And then everyone wants to go, oh, it's the pitchers, it's the defense, it's the shifts, it's that, let's change this, let's change that. Uh, this thing was, like, self-balancing for a long time. And yeah, they moved the strike zone up and they did this. But look, again, to be clear, when Greg Maddox was pitching, guys were getting two, three balls off home plate. Some of the calls that Levon Hernandez got in that, uh, in that World that Series game, game against so the upsetting. Indians were obnoxious, right? Like calling balls halfway across the other box. I promise you it's much harder to hit in those scenarios than it is when a guy's got 95 or he's got spin rate or he's got whatever. And oh, by the way, again, to be clear, Nolan Ryan was throwing harder than everyone. Like the guns are different, the numbers are different. Spin efficiency, spin rates, those things all exist. Did you watch that they movie? Were all real? Did, yeah, did I did. you watch the? Uh, uh, I I almost fa- got through it on my last flight. It's so facing good. Nolan. Facing, yeah, facing Nolan. So good. Dude, it's so it, good. literally every guy on there is like key through harder than everybody ever. They're like on today's guns, he's probably like 108, 109. And again, you're talking about a guy who generationally, like, was head and shoulders above everybody else like who who's the head and shoulders above everybody else right now Degrom is that it is that is he the only one but from he's, a velocity I mean, as a starter yeah from a velocity starter. standpoint he's not he's not necessarily that much different than other guys who are throwing it up the same speed you've got the couple relievers uh is it Hicks that they can touch 103 104 right? Jordan those Hicks, are the yeah. numbers so again the gap is not all that wide and i'm not again don't take this the wrong way i'm not implying that it's not harder to hit against harder velocity and oh by the way in the history of the game a well-located four-seam fastball is the hardest pitch to hit because it creates the biggest time constraint for a hitter right now if you want to hit they were talking about hitting side to side hit like we've figured out how to hit side to side better now we haven't figured out how to hit up and down better because of plane issues. And that that's always been true though. That's why in the seventies they were going swing down, right? And swing down against velocity, against the forcing velocity. Then pitchers started sinking it. Then everybody said, Hey, let's swing up. Now everybody's going up and down again. And then now the re the rediscovery of the sinker and having pitchers that are able to do both is really important, right? Because now if you can do both, now you've created a different dynamic and pitching is always going to be ahead. Criminals are always going to be ahead of the cops. Right, pitchers are criminals. Criminals, <laughs> especially lefties. Especially yeah. the lefties that cut it. It's mean. Um, no, this is all really good discussion. Um, I, yeah, your point about pitchers always being ahead is it's it's accurate. It's it's always going to be that way. To your point, uh, that line from Jeff is funny though. If we're figuring if we're figuring out all this stuff, why are we getting better? Because if we were, we'd be getting better across the board. 
and I told him, I said, Jeff, you know why I can I can get down with you? You know That's why? A different I, question I, though. Go ahead, keep going. But I have a different question. But you know why I can get down with you? Because your teams at Arizona State were doing stuff that other teams weren't. You were leveling up. You as an offense leveled up. The Arizona State offense completely leveled up over the years that he was there. And now that staff's going to go do the same thing at Texas A&M. They're going to level them up. We have to be able to level up teams. We have to be able to level up individuals across the board, not just one here and one there. Bobby, this is the capacity capability argument. This is the floor and ceiling argument, right? We're making the ceiling higher. The floor is getting lower. So we're still some, our, our median value is still in the middle, right? If the ceiling's getting higher and the floor's getting lower, the middle stays the same. Or if anything, it might get worse. Because if the floor falls too much, oof. Mm-hmm. How many hitters did you uh, know that could hit 180 and get paid $10 million the next year? That's some interesting contracts happening right now. Bellinger and Gallo both are, like hit 200 or below this year, and they've gotten $10 million plus deals. Bellinger got like 17, right? Twelve and a half, but with the with the buyout for the option, I think. Is it stacked like that? Either way, I think that was what it was. <laughs> Either way, that's a big number for somebody that, and it, that's a pure potential contract. That's a, I mean, if you think you can get that guy right, he could play at that level. Could he play at a higher level? Maybe. Is he going to be an MVP again, or is he too exposable? You got to cover a lot of holes right now. The deal it's worth seventeen and a half million guaranteed because it has the buyout of the the twenty twenty four option. Mm-hmm. So a lot of quiche. Wow, Gallo got like, ten. Yeah, run out of town in New York. Couldn't get in the lineup in in, in Los Angeles. Ten million. Here you go. Wild, like wild, and we wonder why. I mean, again, you hand a guy who's hitting one ninety money. Does he think he needs to get better? Does he think he needs to change? At some point, I mean, Gallo, some of his quotes when he was exiting New York were. Depressing. Yeah, he got his feelings hurt in New York, right? He got his feelings yeah. hurt. That's fine. And he, uh, listen, it, it's not for the faint of heart. The game is not for the faint of heart, dude. You have to build some armor. I'm not asking you to build it at 12 or 14 when you're, you know, worrying about, you know, making sure you get your algebra homework handed in or whatever right because that's stressful enough <laughs> but again you the algebra homework you got a test coming up in english and you know the history class you're falling asleep because you can't pay attention like because you hate it and then you got you know post school you got national honor society stuff plus you got to go do your extracurricular for for the school and then all of a sudden you gotta go hit with your hitting guy and then you got to go come home and look at eight different guys yelling, this swing is better, this swing is better. And then all of a sudden, you're like, well, is there a better? It may, maybe there is a better. Oh, I don't know. I'm, you know you're like a, a wounded puppy sitting there being like, because you know what it takes, Bobby? An 0 for 8. All you need is an 0 for 8. Maybe 0 for 12. You go 0 for 12 when you're in high school. That's like a week and a half, right? It's three games in a week and a half. 0 for 12 is a long time to not get a hit. Guess what, I went, dude? I went, I went O for the opening series my junior year, and it was that's in college, bad, right? That's bad. in college. College is four games, a bus trip to George Washington, George Mason down in Virginia or something, 
long bus ride. I was a player of the year in the conference the year before. And then it's like the, the trip before our spring trip. So I went oh for like 16 or something. And then they had to go practice indoors for two more weeks before going to Florida. <laughs> that was that was devastating. My senior year in high school, and I'm talking about going to play college baseball at Eckerd and said blah, 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 all these places. Six for 36. That's half a season. That's half a season, dude. Six for 36. Like, I, I you want to talk about being lost, wounded? Uh, and every day was more urgency, more urgency, more urgency, which caused more ground balls and more ground balls and more ground balls. And I, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't have anybody to go rely on. I didn't have the extra hitting sessions. I didn't have the cages to go to. I didn't have my, my hitting guy to go talk to. I just had my dad leaving me notes in the morning saying, you got to get pissed off and figure it out. <laughs> Literally, I wake up I wake up to these oh, like two-page notes, front and back. Dad loves – and my dad communicates much better through the written word than he does with his speech. Sounds like it. it based on that. Yeah. And, you like telling me to get pissed off because that's how he his his father motivated him through fear and anger, right? And here I am, this like little oh my god, no, I felt like Kevin Hart, no, god, no, oh my god, I'm not, dad, I'm so sensitive. And you know, he tried everything, and it's not his fault. It's what he knew. It's it's not like we could go have a cage session. He could tell me, okay, like you need to create a little more barrel depth. You need to feel like you're going to be late on one of these balls. You need like giving me feels to, to, to recreate the box, right? He's just giving me notes to go to school with. I, I wake up at 7.20. For <laughs> hey, my go seven, think about this for six hours. Seven, we actually my se- about it. I swear to God, that's why I sucked in high school. That's why I wasn't good. Because I realized quickly I was, a, I was a, a later in the day person. I was a night guy. And that's why in my career, I, the anxiety of being awake for six and a half hours before your game is too much for me. I my frantic. I'm a, <laughs> you said that the other day. You said that the other day, and I never thought about it that way at all. Because you, I mean, you would stay up till five o'clock in the morning, without a doubt. Way I'd much rather have my downtime. Yeah, yeah. And I don't it, have to think it, about it, it. It surprised me, and then it it surprised me initially, and then it instantly made so much sense that if you're if you wake up and you have to spend your day thinking about the game, you're gonna just you're going to get yourself in a pretzel, a mental just meltdown. You want to hear what's wild about that? So David Ortiz, and I I brought this up yesterday. David Ortiz, I I watched his whole, like, you know, post-retirement Hall of Fame. They did a bunch of stuff here on Nesson. And they they talked to him about his last year and how, you know, great it was and how he shouldn't have retired, blah, blah, blah. And the thing he talked about in his last year, he goes, guess what? You know what I did my last year that I'd never done before? I made it a point that every city I went to, I was going to enjoy it. I was going to go see stuff I hadn't seen. So I started waking up earlier during the day and I would go to the fish market in Seattle and I would go check out Wall Street in New York or go to the Empire State Building. And when we went to Chicago, I would go get a tour of, uh, you know, whatever the street is there and go look at, like, do all the touristy stuff. And it was almost like he just didn't care about baseball. And he made it a point to take advantage of being a tourist in the cities he was in. It's like it's like what Jeremy Guthrie was saying when he was on about having a life outside of baseball and needing needing to have things outside of the, of the game that you can lean on, so that baseball isn't everything. It's like we always we always use the, the phrase "you have to care enough to not care," but these are actual techniques. Like go do something different. Go watch a movie. Go like play a video game. Distract yourself so you're not 
just doming yourself up the whole day. You know, you know what I realized that I did in 2015 that I did different than any other year I'd ever I'd ever played? I chose different video games for the year, right? And I'd played video games, not at length, like not as bad as some people, but I made it a point. I was like, I'm going to play new games. So the Toronto Blue Jays were into NHL and FIFA, and I hadn't played either one in a long time. And FIFA is a great game, but NHL and FIFA. And then I started get into, getting into like, the Assassin's Creed's of the world and the Sniper Elites of the world, the Grand Theft Autos, which I hadn't played in years. So throughout the course of the season, I, I, I revolved around these five games and I was very much trying to get better at those, right? So that I could go, when we went to the clubhouse and I didn't have Deion or Navarro like running circles around me in FIFA. So I'd be in the fourth and fifth inning. And I'd be like, man, can't wait to get to my PS my PS4 and, and go figure out how to, beat this level of Assassin's Creed or, or figure out how to do the lob pass with a, you know, a trick touch like before that. So I'd be in the fourth inning and I'd be like, oh, for two or oh, for one. Like, Man, it's going to be so great when this game's over and I can go just work on that. It's going to be awesome. And to that point, dude, like I used my post game time to like wind down by doing stuff that I was actually enjoying because there was nothing riding on me being good other than my pride, right? There was nothing riding other than the ego, the ego part of me wanting to be like, oh, see, I can do this too. And it was, it, it helped me take the focus off 0 for 4. It helped me take the focus off 0 for 8 because I had something that I could be excited about. It's the same thing Tulo said about when you're 0 for 4 and your team loses, you better go have a comfort comfort food meal. Like, Ain't no, ain't eating no quinoa and kale after 0 for 4 with a loss. Crap, I'm, I'm in a 2 for 20, and I'm like, man, I'm getting some ice cream, some fried chicken, some pizza, what, like whatever's going to make you happy. And that is so much more impactful than the nutritional value that you get from something else. You know what I mean? Pizza, pizza will make you feel right. Big pizza guy. Big yeah. pizza guy. <laughs> Uh, this is really, really good discussion. I think we should let's wrap it here because we can keep going on about this for yeah. days. But I think I think Patrick's got his work work cut out for him today. He's got a lot of nuggets in there, so that's good. Um, shout out again to Spilly for joining us today. It was a lot of fun getting to hear about his. Uh, I hope we get him on more because he's got a lot more stories to tell, a lot more to, a lot more to share. Uh, we got any post game? Patriots lost yesterday. On the Emotion, worst play in NFL history. What was what, – what, what, why? Just take a knee. Just don't lose. Go to overtime. <laughs> that was, is that the worst? It's, it's got to be like a it's top It's the worst play in top five. football history. It's the worst play in football history. Like is the it the worst? Wa- yeah. They got walked off on five years ago or four years ago. When they that wasn't even bad luck. That was a – The worst like play that. in NFL history. The worst. It's there's no comparison. It's the worst way to finish. The first the lateral. The first lateral was bad, where you just kind of dumped it. But at least if you fumble it there, somebody yeah, they jump. You're on in a dog pile. There's 20 he guys. He threw there. it. He th- like he threw the guy of basically a crossing route. <laughs> I am fully. I'm fully convinced, Bobby. I'm fully convinced after watching it multiple times because Chandler Jones was standing in the Raiders logo, which is black and, and silver, in the middle of the field. You didn't see him. He was camouflaged. He camouflaged himself in the black and silver logo in the middle of the field. Maybe. And he just maybe. he threw it and he's like, Matt, come get it. And he forgot there was a huge man standing in the middle of the logo. Who, by the way, the stiff arm on Mac Jones was electric. It was like the worst effort at a tackle. Mac, listen, Mac, if you listen to this, 
I, I like you, respect you. The Sabins and Belichicks of the world have said a lot of good stuff. And because of that, I'm Team Mac. But let me tell you something. Kickers have had better efforts at a tackle than that. Like, because you never even, you didn't even grab at anything as you were getting pushed to the ground. Like, he wasn't even, like, trying to hold his leg to get, like, a receiver to come get him. It was just like, no, I'm going down, and that's it. That's not a human I would want to try to tackle personally. I'm also not a football player, but holy smokes. <laughs> that was just the whole thing. The The whole thing was just bad. The whole, it just... I saw the box score. I just I went. I was on Twitter, and people were. I just kept saying, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" I'm like, "What happened?" Yeah. They weren't even talking about that. They didn't say the teams or anything. I'm like, something in sports just happened. And then when I finally found it, I'm like, "There's no way that 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 happened." So yes. on the scale of national news yesterday, I wish there was a right? flag or something. That no, no. Time out. On a scale of national news, what was a bigger deal in America, not across the world? Argentina and Lionel Messi winning the World Cup in pretty dramatic fashion or the Patriots losing the game that way, national news-wise, not talking about global. In the States, uh, here in the States, I think I think uh, football. Which one? Football? Football or football? football? I think soccer is starting to pick up some traction. Yeah, Fox Sports did a nice job with the coverage. I think the, the whole Qatar thing turned out to be better than anybody expected it to be. Um, wonderful ending. I think you got to see two of the best players in the world, which is what you hope for and uh, the tightest moments and really excel. Like Mbappe, which was my favorite name. Kylian Mbappe is a monster. What a stallion. Like, what a stallion. Did you see how mad he was? Three goals, right? Yeah, hat trick. Uh, I think second player in the history of the World Cup to score a hat trick in the final. Um, dramatic fashion, down two goals. He, he he scored the PK, went and got the ball right away. Uh, they scored, again, five minutes later to tie it and send it to extra time, and then goals in extra time uh, were awesome. Um, in the the best part about the whole thing to me, they, they were doing the award ceremony, and uh, the kid from Argentina got, like, the new up-and-comer, like, rookie, whatever it is. Messi got the Ballon d'Or, which is the – player of the tournament and uh the goalie from argentina martinez got the the keeper one and mbappe got like the most goal scored i think yeah Yeah, the most gold scored and they they were up there doing pictures and he couldn't wait to get the hell out of there and messi was his teammate he bounced appropriately yeah messi was his teammate with uh paris saint germain instead of paris saint saint germain um and he was like i'm out dude like i don't care like so well, that not, dude's going to be good for a long it's time. It's good feel for the good feel for the moment. That dude's a stallion. Uh, yeah, is Messi the goat? Is he is he the best ever? Now? Messi's the I goat. Ronaldinho. Dude, a, no, is it Messi's the goat. Ronaldo. Ronaldinho. Messi's the goat. He's a goat. Pele. Goat. Goat. I like the goat conversation shifts a lot in soccer. Goat. Pele I don't know enough about it. But. All right, wrap it up. Take us out. On that note, thanks for listening, Spilly. Thanks for coming on. Pickle is out.